0: This episode of the Vine Pair Podcast is sponsored by the Prisoner Wine Company. You'll find everything you need to cross off your gifting list at the Prisoner Wine Company's website. From stocking stuffers to gift sets, bar tools and showstoppers, give the gift of premium California wine this holiday season. Head to theprisonerwinecompany.com to shop now and order by December 14th to receive in time for the holidays.
1: Vine New York City headquarters. I'm Adam Teeter.
2: And I'm Joanna Sharino.
1: And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Podcast. I said that really fast.
2: Have you had your afternoon coffee? I didn't have one today. I did.
1: So I was trying to like, just get (laughs) it. it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I had a morning coffee. Mm -hmm. Like a mid morning coffee. I was like, I can't do more than two. I still had (laughs) to sleep. So, you know. But how are we doing? We're good? Yeah, we're good. We're good. Awesome. Zach, what have you been drinking?
0: So, you know, a few different things, but the highlight for me of late was a really interesting bottle of uh, sparkling Riesling from the Willamette Valley from Brooks oh. Winery.
2: Brooks, yeah. we yeah. like Brooks. Nice, nice.
0: Yeah, so it was uh, interesting to me because, A, I just, I find sparkling Riesling interesting uh, in general, and it was an extended Lee's age to so like 40 months on Lee's uh, before it was disgorged, so, um, you know, kind of. Sometimes with sparkling Riesling, as with still Riesling, uh, people can justifiably complain about just kind of like over the top acidity. Um, And so the lees aging, I think, gives, uh, you know, a a way to kind of soften that a touch, add a little more body to the wine. Um, It's really delightful, but, you know, had a lot of a lot of wines of late, um, you know, obviously with the extended Thanksgiving weekend a while back, had had some interesting bottles there, too. But I feel like uh, you both have lots to share about this. So I'm going to keep mine brief. Joanna, what about you? What have you been drinking?
2: Um, Not too, too much, because uh, we are seemingly perpetually under the weather in my home. (laughs) Again? Always. Um, But had a really delicious Hirsch Pinot Noir um, over the holiday. And then um, I think I found our new favorite local bar, which I'm really excited to report. It's called Charlene's. Never heard of it. It's on Flatbush Avenue. And um, it's a really great kind of like divey bar, but also cocktail bar. You guys
1: like having a local, don't you? Yeah. It's called Charlene's.
2: It's Charlene's, yeah. And I had a great um, like... Bourbon apple cider, hot bourbon apple cider. There, that was good. And then this is something I wanted to mention to you guys that I thought was really interesting. Um, Sometimes when I see my parents, they they report their like the drinking trends that they're seeing. Yeah,
1: they want you to know on Long
2: Island. Yeah, like this is what people are drinking now. And my dad made us vodka martinis, Uh which is in my families in my house like just cold vodka basically there's no vermouth in that yeah yeah, no
1: that's how most people drink it
2: but what what people are doing now is that they're adding a splash of tequila what
1: (laughs) where where are they doing (laughs) this on long island i don't know where on long island (laughs) i guess they don't they don't call it strong island for nothing
2: (laughs) yeah so uh this was my parents called silver it was a a little splash of blanco yeah, so that had that.
1: What's it called? Just the martini with a splash of tequila? Oh, it's
2: not called anything. What's it taste like? <laughs> it tastes like tequila, right? Because it's just vodka. Right. So there's no, flavor, there's no flavor there. Who is doing this? I don't know. It's is insane. There any though. garnish? It's insane. No garnish. Well, yes. I mean, you can <laughs> This is <laughs> My amazing. My dad had a lime, like a twist of lime. Um, I had just some olives. Just tell your
1: dad to drink straight tequila.
2: He does. He likes that too. Guess I what? Guess what trend. brands he likes too.
1: I love this trip. I need to know where he's seen this.
2: He likes the baller bottles. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forty two. Want to bring him some? I have given him oh, some good. before. He loves it. <laughs> he's like, this is the best. Yeah. Isn't that
1: wild? I. This is. He should hang out with Gen Z. They also like tequila in <laughs> their that. espresso martinis.
2: <laughs> but and also, my brother mentioned something that I thought was really funny. He said, "Have you ever heard of a carajillo?" And I was like. Yeah, it's a really good drink. He's like, "Oh, wait, I've heard it's going to be the next espresso martini." And yeah, like, that's, they're mm-hmm. trying. They're trying real hard. <laughs>
1: they're trying real hard. At the carajillo. Good luck, guys. Yeah, that's so fun. What about you, Adam? Uh, so, I, I had some nice wine over Thanksgiving. So, the first thing I would say that I had that was really delicious was uh, I was very um, lucky to have been sent by a listener of this podcast one of the I would say best high end pre-batched cocktails I've ever had. Oh. Uh, and this was by Host Cocktail Company. Okay. And they sent me their gold-fashioned.
2: Ah, yes, yes, and yes. And
1: I, we, we serve them, so we always do a, a cocktail before we sit down for Thanksgiving. And this is what I did instead of making one. Also, really easy. Also, my parents, my brother, my sister-in-law, everyone loved it because it was just a beautiful it comes in a beautiful box Mm -hmm. then you pull out the bottle it's really beautiful and then i thought it was perfect for like a nice dinner party
2: this is their second year doing it right
1: more more than second i think oh really okay um they also do a uh rtd martini which i enjoyed but this one this one was i thought the the stronger of the two yeah um it's just it's a it makes this is where i see the large format rts working because it's it looks high-end you know, it's perfect for a dinner party. We had eight cocktails poured out, like it was the whole bottle, right? And the aromatizer is really fun. So you bring it out, you spritzing, oh, nice. you know, you spritz each glass. I think they do a very good job with the packaging and branding of this product. Um, and it was a very delicious old fashioned. And I'm not a very big old fashioned drinker, but like this, it was so balanced. Um, Do you know the liquid it, so it comes from Kentucky okay there's like a, I think there's like a eight year in it and a six year maybe there's it's Kentucky bourbon but it's not like and, paired with a brand no or it's anything, Kentucky or bourbon and Indiana rye I've heard rumors from people who I've talked in the industry who think they know where it comes from sure but I'm not gonna say even though I've been told because that's not cool um, but very very well done great cocktail then had some uh, a large format bottle of Planeta. Nice. That was really delicious there. Uh, the Chirosuola, which was, was tasty. And then Saturday was the Iron Bowl. And.
2: Sorry. Yeah. So close,
0: man. Oh, closer than I thought.
1: One. Closer than we all thought, man. Closer than we all thought. But beforehand, I didn't really want. I'm not one of these people that likes to drink a lot and then go into the game it's just not fun but i had you don't like to tailgate i like to tailgate i love to tailgate but i don't want to get shit facing. <laughs> sure tailgate. sure sure like i i'm not i don't want to drink bourbon at the tailgate i don't want to like have co- i so i was drinking warsteiner okay i forgot how good that beer is mm-hmm. i really enjoyed that uh so i had i had a warsteiner and that was like the most memorable like beer of the day for me <laughs> and then i went in feeling pretty good As my brother came into the game because we came, we. Oh, you went to the game. I went to his yes, and he. I went to his tailgate, but he stayed, and I went and walked around campus with my mom and Esty. My dad stayed at the tailgate too because he had given us his tickets. So my brother met me later. Uh, I'm already in the seats. My brother like shows me as he's walking, as he was walking into the game. Some student handed him. He's like, "Oh man, I gotta get rid of all my alcohol." Like this weird German schnapps. (laughs)
0: Just like is this all like
1: kids are drinking? Like mini oh. bottles of German schnapps. My brother's like, Do you want one? I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> like, absolutely That's not. So funny. I'm not drinking German schnapps in the in the stands. I don't know where these guys got this, these bottles. How random. But they was like they had too much on them to think they could sneak it all in. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh but yeah, that was my that uh, was my Thanksgiving. And then I have not drank since. So I'm looking forward to this weekend. Yeah. But uh <laughs> Zach, why don't you set up? Uh, why don't you set up our um, our topic for today?
0: Absolutely. So you know the the thing that I've been thinking a lot about, among among others, in this kind of thread, is this question of is what hospitality means, sort of evolving or changing. And I think when we talk about it, there's a lot of disparate threads here. I'm not going to try and connect all of them quite yet. We might have to do another episode. But but specifically for the purposes of today's conversation, kind of a few things that we collectively have been kicking around, some on the podcast, some kind of not. And one of them is a sort of changing attitude towards and sort of um, feelings towards dining. So be that the kind of atmosphere that people are looking for, you know, we've kicked around the topic of sort of party restaurants and what that feels like. Um, I think the sort of Disconnect between what fine dining looks like now and how it conforms to what people want from dining experiences. And then I think, in particular, the sort of relationship between. Uh, employees, their employers, and their guests. And that, that brings in a lot of things. And so there's a lot to unpack here. And and the way I've thought about framing this a little bit is is kind of starting by asking the both of you a question, which because okay. you both, you know, certainly do a lot of dining out. You both experience hospitality in the sort of restaurant bar setting a lot. And it's my contention and my feeling that it feels different now. And it's hard to define exactly why, but does it feel that way to the both of you?
2: Different in what way?
0: <laughs> I just said it was hard to define Joanna. Um, <laughs> no, different uh,
2: good. Sorry, different good or, or different bad.
1: bad. Either way, it just feels I, like it doesn't feel like it did pre COVID. Is basically what you're saying, right? Or so even I pre- think, prior to pre COVID.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think to me, it's it's not just it's not quite as simple as better or worse, but I do think that that if I were to sort of describe my experience, it would be more and more often less attentive service, possibly more disaffected service in settings that feel less friendly, I guess, and also more expensive all at once. And some of that is understandable. The expensive part is kind of, uh, you know, I understand pretty well what goes into costing out food. But some of it is, I think, a kind of approach to service now approach to the experience of going out, which, which feels a little bit more about how would I describe this? It feels more about putting uh, less about the kind of, please come in, join us. That was a model for a long time and a little bit more of a like, yeah, okay, I guess you can come in and, I know that's not well defined. I apologize, but but it's a vibes thing as much as it is a concrete thing. So so I don't know. That's that's where my head's at.
2: I, we had this conversation fairly recently with the editorial team. It was for a bar in in like specifically for so less a restaurant, but like same thing, right? <clears throat> where yeah, I think uh, I've felt something similar to that. Where you should be grateful to be able to dine out. That kind of vibe. I agree with you. It is kind of a vibes thing. Um, But I also just feel like we've talked about this before, right? Expectations, I think, for diners have changed as well. Like, I think expectations have somewhat changed on both sides. And especially with regards to cost going up and the prices going up for people. Like, it's hard to feel like you're paying more and not getting a better level of service. Even though like that's kind of where we're at right now like we have to be paying more. So yeah, I think that that definitely definitely factors into this conversation.
1: Let me to get on my high horse right now. Let's go. So I- here's what I think. I think that it is different and I think that there's a lot of causes at blame here. I think that one of the oh god this is going to be people are going to come for me so i think the the what one of the things that you notice now is that i truly believe that while the service has changed and it is more disaffected it is less personal it is less it is less the school of Danny Meyer it is more the school of major food group i think that the belief is that you should be goddamn lucky that you are here yep. and people still want to be here And the reason for that, I believe, is because of TikTok and because of Instagram and the fact that there are these influencers that are still treated very well when they go to these places Mm -hmm. who post glowing reviews about these places. And then they make everybody else feel like they have to be there. And because basically we learn now that over over 55 percent of Gen Z is getting their news from TikTok. Mm hmm. Which has not been vetted, which has, that of, of course they're also being influenced then. They're getting their dining news and where to go. When, when, when I first moved to New York, and yes, that was, okay, I'm 40. Uh, so someone emailed in being like, and you're actually old, Adam. Whatever, fuck you. You know, th- there was, there were dining critics that had integrity and ethics and they, they, tried to go in as secretively as possible and and go to a place multiple times Mm -hmm. to see and then recommend. And that's sort of what drove the conversation in the restaurants that people wanted to be at. And so those restaurants knew that they had to take hospitality very seriously because that was part of what the critics were looking at. Now, the influencer doesn't really give a shit as long as they get free shit, it's fun, they have a great time, they get drunk with their friends, and they post about how baller everything is. And they probably are treated well, but in a very different way. They're not looking at like are there small attentions to detail yeah. because that's these people don't know anything about restaurants. They're fucking influencers. They're look they're, they're looking for the free shit, and they have a large following. And come for me if you think I hate influencers. I don't care. I do. So those are the things that I think are driving all of this and have changed hospitality because if the people now, if the PR firm that you've hired now tells you that the people you have to pay attention to, if you want to drive butts in seats are not actually journalists, they are, you know, JL two, three, nine, who has 50,000 followers because one day this person ate a bagel in a really funny way and then became a food expert. Mm -hmm like that that person is a lot easier to please right because that person is just looking for free shit and then maybe one day is going to do a few like brand promotions mm-hmm. you know on their platform and that person has no ethical code doesn't care about having to disclose whether or not their meal was comped probably doesn't disclose it the meal 100 percent was comped uh and you know Therefore, is going to make you feel like you need to be there because these are this is our culture now. Right. And so I think it allows for the service to then not be so great. And you think there's something wrong with you. Because when you go there, you say, well, this person said it was amazing. So, like, what is so bad about bad, bad Roman? Well, it's bad. You know, and, and anyone who questions it is like called out because so and so had a great time. And so then you have the mob mentality, et cetera. So I actually think that's what's happening with hospitality.
0: Interesting. I think part of it is actually maybe even goes back beyond specifically those platforms, and is is a. I had I've been thinking about this a lot because I think about how when in my time in restaurants, you know how much it, the experience as a server and as a sommelier evolved, as people frankly spent more of their time at the table, not at the table. By which I mean looking at their phones and doing yeah. things with their phones, and. It does create a, you know, there, there is an undeniable thing that including like myself, like I'm candid about this fact that like when I go out to dine sometimes, depending on who I'm with and all that, like, am I looking at my phone? Probably, you know, all of us do all the time. It's just kind of an unavoidable thing. Unless you make, go to real pains to, to, you know, turn it off, put it away, et cetera. And it creates not only gives more space for a kind of disaffected service, but it also in a way almost. It's like, why expend the effort to connect with a table when they're just not gonna be paying that much attention to you? And to some extent that's always been true. I mean, again, before people had smartphones on them, I had plenty of tables that I'd go to where people would just talk to each other and ignore me. And yeah. it'd be very hard to be like, excuse me, do you ready, you know, are you ready to order, etc., whatever the things you need to communicate with the table about. But more people were more present. They saw the service and the and that experience as part of what they were there for. And they were interested in living in in real time, not you know, capturing on their phone to post and then maybe they look at it later or whatever. So again, without this being too much old man yells at clouds, I do want to say that I think that's part of it. But but I actually think there's another piece of it too. And I think a piece of it that is really hard for me to talk about because I have a lot of sympathy for this perspective from the restaurant and bar industry, which is this kind of still incredible lingering Trauma from COVID and... Yeah, I agree with that. And the fact that for a lot of restaurants, a lot of bars, it's like the world has moved on. And in a lot of ways, these places have moved on. But there's this like incredible, like, how do we ever really feel whole again? And some of that's financial. You know, a lot of places still trying to dig out. And for the places that maybe were not... have Either were less financially impacted or just have managed to move on, etc. It's a like... You know, I thought a lot about during the early stages of COVID when it was like, okay, what is going to happen to the restaurant and bar industry? And I thought a lot about how the, you know, it was an industry that, like others, was completely kind of caught off guard by this idea that suddenly the entire industry would have to shut down for some amount of time. And obviously, the length of time for that varied depending on where you are, kind of operation you had, et cetera. But fundamentally, people it had never entered the, the imagination of the industry as a whole or even to very few people in it that, like... Uh, an outside force could cause restaurants, glo- you know, nationally, globally to close down for long stretches of time. And it, it's led me to this kind of thinking that, like, what restaurants and bars uh, lack in this country is what we all lack, which is kind of a social safety net. And that this this sort of feeling of, like, f- you know, kind of like, uh, we got to get ours while we can, you know, you're fortunate to be dining here with us, etc., is not new to this era, but a lot of what's driving it is, I think, a kind of like, uh, uh this yeah, this kind of like fr- newfound fragility. Not for any individual restaurant, because we've always known that restaurants and bars are fragile things, and they close all the time for all kinds of reasons. But for the industry as a whole and the people within it, this this sort of new newly discovered fragility, I think, has caused a lot of, um, you know, kind of like unfortunate ripple effects.
2: I think that's the case for some of these restaurants. And I think what Adam is saying is the case for the other restaurants, right? Because we've definitely seen so many restaurants still struggling to make it on the other side of the pandemic and then or whatever side we're on right now. And, um, you know, still struggling, right? And struggling to find people to hire, people with experience. Like, I think that's that's still such a huge problem part of this too like being able to find staff and to retain staff too and to pay them a like a fair and competitive wage like that's still very like very much a, a thing that people are experiencing now and so I think when we feel like service is not as great as we expect it to be I think that that we need to keep that in mind but I also think what Adam said is right because then there's this whole other group of restaurants that is is having and seeing this like explosive success and expanding and growing and like we're talking about this from New- like a New York perspective, it's of happened course, in a lot of places though. Yeah, um, where for a lot of people who are going to these places because they've seen them on TikTok or whatever they've been written about, or maybe not, but they've seen them on TikTok, yeah, right? They've seen them on TikTok, yeah. Um, that it actually the level of service doesn't doesn't matter no. to them. Um, and and then I, when
1: we fought, then when someone who <clears throat> it does matter to goes, they're upset. But like that's not what the place is about in the first place. It's about TikTok,
2: exactly. And so I think it's like for these bars and restaurants that are really just like they have this explosive success that they've made it to a point where they actually don't need to care about this like the quality of service that they're offering to their customers or whatever diners because they don't need to. Yeah, and I think that's that part is really unfortunate. For right now, the other the other side of things, I think, you know, it is also unfortunate, but for different reasons. Yeah. And that's going to be trauma that's going to be there, I think, for a very long time. I also wanted to to add. Yes, I agree. But I also want to add that this is not the case for all restaurants. No. Right. Like we have all probably dined at places recently where the level of service has been outstanding. Yes, totally. And you can still find that um, and some places are doing it well. But
1: yeah, I, I tend to think like, again, a lot. It's the places where service is outstanding for the most part, at least in New York, and this is based on no true, you know, academic study I've done. It's either places where the team that goes and runs a new spot is a seasoned team from some place that was very highly regarded pre COVID. So I think of you know, like Coloman, for example, right? I love it right here. The service is incredible there always. Right? It's people from Batard and den, et cetera. Like they that's just what they do. They know what they're doing. Right. Or you know it's places that have always been great like all the Danny Meyer spots right those that services i mean that that's part of like sort of you have to buy into his culture if you want to work for him like that's just the deal and if you that's not the culture you will buy into then don't work there like that's just the way that it works and then there's a lot of the people that were sort of his uh you know followers that opened their own places around the city that all their places are still very solid it's much more of like what you're saying it's it's the party places but i will say that the one trick or tip that i've sort of found even at the party places, if you if you want to get good service, even at those places, sit at the bar.
2: The bar is right. a special place.
1: The bar is where you're so if you're if you're the person that just like I really would like to have personal service where someone talks to me and sort of seems to care about me, sit at the bar because the bartender will still be overwhelmed probably if the place is packed. But there there's only a set amount of seats in front of them, and there is I've found always just this very nice interaction that you have with the person behind the bar and yourself eating it's usually only it's only going to work really if you're there with one other person but it is a very nice thing that you don't get often because sometimes also the service just is because the place is so popular that it's packed and they're understaffed and the server's running around and like I I think that it also goes without saying that you know we have to mention we also don't know how the staff is treated by ownership Mm -hmm. so At some of these places, like, the service could could be shit now because ownership's out to, you know, open as many places as possible and do this this gimmick after the next gimmick after whatever. And, like, maybe they're like, look, you're a dime a dozen. You know, we don't really need to, you know, you're lucky to be here because we're one of the hottest restaurants in the city right now. And you're going to make good tips. So, yeah, you're going to have to cover more tables than you would have pre-COVID because it is what it is. But you're lucky to be here because look at how packed we are. We don't know. Or you know we're not going to take care of you after work, or the family. I don't know. Family meal is not going to be as good as it should be. Who knows? But all those things I think are worth thinking about before just you know saying it's it's one cause or another. I think it's all of these causes. But ah, God, the influencer shit really pisses me off.
0: Well, and I think to bring one more point to this, I think is sort of connected to all this is like anything else in. A sort of exchange between a customer base and a and a restaurant or a set of restaurants or the even just the restaurant community, the bar community. What clientele themselves prioritize will, in some ways, inform what businesses offer. And I think that you know you brought up Danny Meyer, and I think it's a really interesting thing. I'm not I'm not as familiar with like the current state of the you know Union Square Hospitality Group landscape, but I know that you know a lot of operators in that vein had a lot of really had to make a lot of really difficult calls in the COVID period about what to reopen, what to close, how to keep people employed or not, and move things around. And the service focused places, even if they wouldn't necessarily describe themselves that way, although I think probably Dana Meyer would, but places that that hewed more towards that model and maybe were less about, you know, cutting edge food, about like the trendiest stuff, I think because of this landscape, because of the fact that, you know, a quality quality service, a really engaging interaction with your server doesn't TikTok very well. I don't think creates this weird feedback loop where even places that are inclined to sort of prioritize service are getting this this feedback, whether it's accurate or not. That's like, well, yeah, people exactly. don't care about service anymore. They care about trendiness. They care about gimmickry. They care about you know again what looks good on social, etc. And it disincentivizes. Places from prioritizing service in certain cases. Obviously, you know people who have really established convictions about what they should do, and they and a belief about their approach to to dining will probably stick with it because it's just kind of what they do. It's kind of what they know. But I think that what seems like the market is saying something in a way. What else are operators whether they're new or otherwise to do but try and meet that demand and again i think that demand is distorted and maybe not super representative of the larger dining public but it's what's easy to tap into it's what's vocal it's what's accessible and that's where i think you're right that like the the tiktok and instagram piece of it is maybe not numerically overwhelming but it is sort of dominates the conversation and you can't fault I don't fault operators and even you know people within the industry working not as operators from responding to that in with the w- in the way that they believe their clientele wants them to.
2: It's very similar to the t- TikTok bar conversation yeah, we totally. had, right? Like if this means that they're going to be successful to do this, then yeah, I don't fault them either.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I will never forget, and I think I've shared this conversation that I had with a server last winter on this podcast before. So if you've heard it before, please
2: close your ears.
1: A very trend I went to dinner at a very trendy restaurant in Rockefeller Center and I remember sitting at the table and the server and and this restaurant had received a great review from the New York Times. But the server assumed that all of us were there because we had probably seen the restaurant on TikTok or Instagram and said you should order this one dish because you've probably seen it on TikTok and Instagram. It's everywhere. The leaks. Mm-hmm. So now people probably know what the restaurant was, but they have another very trendy restaurant in okay. Tribeca. But most, like, I I think that was so interesting. That, like, the server just assumed we were there through not this great review that they had gotten and not the, not the list they had wound up on as being one of the top, you know, one of the 10 best restaurants in the city for that year for... The critic of the New York Times, et cetera. It was no. You probably saw us all over TikTok or Instagram because everyone was TikTokking and Instagramming this leak dish, mm-hmm. and that just tells you where most people who are operators right now think their audience is coming from. And so, yeah, as you guys both said, a lot of that audience doesn't care about the service as much. They're there to also pull out their phones mm-hmm. and take pictures of the drinks and mostly the food and kind of want the server to just go away
2: yeah did you guys i think it was it's in paris there's this there was this article recently about this ice cream shop in paris yes that was like everybody was going in there to instagram it and they had to tell them to like stop like no phones allowed yeah and that like people were really bummed about. people, were
1: pissed. people started getting really angry <laughs> mm-hmm. but they were like that we were supposed to be a neighborhood ice cream shop we yeah. weren't here to be an instagram phenomenon but they had taken off on tiktok because of some way that they served the ice cream yeah and people just like and it was like so quintess it felt felt so quintessentially parisian and things like that people
2: are out in the street like flooding the street and then not even eating the ice cream they they
1: saw people taking pictures and then throwing the ice cream away and they were like we got to stop this because they also felt that it was wasteful right and that to me is yeah that that's Anyways, uh, Gen Z, thank you.
2: I think more people than yeah, it's not, Gen-, it's just Gen Z be on TikTok. Man. It's millennials, yeah. too.
1: It's millennials, too. We did it, too. We were all on Instagram. Yeah. We all cared about it. We all wanted our – we were all trying to figure out how to light our dishes. I mean, we started it. I mean, there was the chef in the Lower East Side who banned phones like 10 years ago oh, when Inst- yeah. because he didn't want everyone Instagramming his dishes. I forget where he was. Oh, yeah. But it was like made tons of the news because of it. And like, guess what? other restaurants said, "Well, you do it, we you you don't allow, it. we're going to allow because it, it drives traffic." And I think all of that is sort of why we are where we are today. Um but yeah, I do I do think it's worth pointing out though that like there are some really excellent restaurants out there with really excellent service. It's not all of them, it re- but when it it feels like I think Zach, probably why you want to discuss th- you wanted to discuss this is it does feel like you happen upon places where the service is much more disaffected and sort of off than you used to
0: and i think more than that it's in the kind of places where i would have i would not expect it i mean i think i think it's that to me is you're not wrong that some of the ultra trendy spots do that i'm sure that happens but it's going to shock none of our listeners to know that i'm not a big like let's go to the trendiest spot kind of person wherever i am but it happened to me a couple times even when i was in new york last month where i went to places where i was surprised that they'll sort of you know, not that I was expecting to be, uh, you know, oh, right this way, Mr. Jabal. But, like, j- just that yeah. the service was, like, the, you know, people didn't seem to give a shit if I was there or not. And I'm, like, you know, here to spend money. And, like, you know, I'm trying to be... A little bit engaged. And, you know, again, one off times, you never know. And sometimes servers having a bad night, sometimes they're just, you know, super tired. All these things happen. I have been there, maybe they're hungover, et cetera, been there too. But, but when it happens a few times in a short span of time, and it's happened to me a few places here in Seattle as well, it just makes me wonder, like, what is going on? Because it's not that I've never had bad service before. I mean, I've had lots of bad service. And it's not that um, any of these examples were so, you know, so terrible as to make for a good anecdote on the pod um that's also kind of adam's beat anyhow but um it I just to me struck me as more than just <laughs> one-offs it felt like part of a bigger a thing that was happening and you know i as we always do if you folks have thoughts on this you know this is one where i think feedback from people kind of especially around the country yeah. is really useful for us um so yeah email us podcast let us know if this is if any of this makes sense to you or if you think we're full of crap sometimes that happens too
2: or if we're missing some other factors here exactly yeah.
1: Well, hit us up, let us know, and I'll talk to you guys on Friday.
2: Have a nice week. Sounds
0: great.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Anywhere, If you are listening to this on a device right now, through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our Tastings Director, Keith Beavers, who is the Managing Director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our Editor-in-Chief, Joanna Shirino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire Vine Pair staff and everyone who's been involved in making Vine Pair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.
0: Visit theprisonerwinecompany.com to explore all of their offerings this holiday season. And remember, ground shipping is
2: included on all gift set purchases. Order by December 14th to receive it in time for the holidays.